3: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. You may not know the name of my guest today, but you certainly know his work. In fact, you've probably watched hours upon hours of it. He's been called the Steven Spielberg of sitcoms, the Willie Mays of directing, the sitcom sorcerer. It's the legendary James Burroughs. Burroughs is the director of some of the most popular and acclaimed television shows in history, including Taxi, Cheers, Will & Grace, Friends, and Frasier. In his five decades of work, the 11-time Emmy winner has directed 75 pilots that went to series, including The Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men, spanning over 1,000 hours of television. He's also the author of a memoir entitled, Directed by James Burroughs, which recounts his incredible career. Burroughs also has an amazing pedigree. He's the son of famed radio and theater director, Abe Burroughs, a Tony and Pulitzer Prize winner whose credits include Guys and Dolls and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. I wanted to know what it was like growing up with such an accomplished and influential father.
4: My parents were divorced, so We live with our mom five blocks away from our dad so we'd see our dad probably twice a week once you know on a school day for dinner and then on a sunday for maybe football or something like that so he was around in that way but um i always like to say that you know i was in the family business i didn't know anything else the only thing i knew is i didn't want to be in that business i didn't want to i didn't want to try to compete with a legend because he was a legend in new york city
3: and, and by that you mean Broadway musicals? Yeah,
4: Broadway musicals and Broadway plays. And when well, my sister and I used to go when we were thirteen or fourteen and meet, you know, Truman Capote and John Steinbeck and Comden and Green and Cole Porter, London Fontaine, <laughs> no Gary. Yes, I mean all these. They were just older people. They. I didn't know. <laughs> I had no idea who They're they boring. were. Boring. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say my dad taught me when I didn't know I was learning, because he would trundle my sister and I off to. Rehearsals occasionally. And we would sit in the audience because if we were going to have dinner with him, we'd come like four o'clock and we'd sit in the house and see him working on stage or a rehearsal hall. And we, we didn't, I didn't understand what he did at all. But again, it was
3: a lot of osmosis at work.
4: Latent learning, they call late, it. Latent learning, yeah.
3: It's in there. And then so I. You had, were, so you went in the back seat with your sister going, No, Dad, I got a horse right here. <laughs> His name is Paul Revere. It's a little dull. Yeah. Put something in there.
4: No, I, I never did that. I, I never you never t- chimed in. I did when I, after college and graduate school, I, w- I worked with him as a stage manager. So I would in- inject a couple of what I thought were funny things, and he was incredibly tolerant of me. I think one of them made it in one of
3: his plays, but th- that was it. But isn't it funny how in your life— it all loops around in a way because I wanted to ask you a question about the nature of casts who have roots in the theater and those that don't. A lot of theater roots with Kelsey and Hyde Pierce and with the Will and Grace cast. Isn't it funny in the life of Jimmy Burroughs that we come back to this, which is Megan Mullally. Megan Mullally. Megan does How to Succeed with Matthew a long, long time ago, your dad. I went to see it. Yeah, of course, I At saw At the La Jolla, La Jolla Playhouse. <laughs>
4: I, that's where I saw it. I was with Deb, Deb my wife, and then uh, my sister's late husband. We, we rented a motorhome and a driver and drove down, <laughs> drove down, drove down to La Jolla, and it was it was wonderful. I love
3: La Jolla Playhouse. Yeah, it was wonderful. But that, that leads me to I want to get back to your schooling. Why go from it was political science or what were you studying at Yale? Government, studying government, and then you go and you get a a, a master's degree in theater at Yale. You're in the Yale drama program, right? Why were I, you trying to run away from the family business? for I was those trying four to years? run away from the draft. Right. Oh,
4: okay. you know, it was uh, it was Vietnam War time, and uh, you're probably too young. A lot of us didn't believe in the war and that particular one. And after Oberlin, I got my draft notice. I. I decided to try and postpone it as long as I could, so I went to the Yale School of Drama, where I was exposed to all these, you know, because you, you, if you're in there, you have to take a course in directing, acting, playwriting, scenic design, stage manager, all these courses. And I went and had a class in directing with Nico Saccharopoulos, <laughs> who, who
3: the, went on to run the uh, Williams- Williamstown Theater uh, yeah. Festival, yeah.
4: And he kind of opened my eyes to exactly what a director does. Because I knew I wasn't an actor. I knew I couldn't write plays. So I, I, you know, I got to direct a couple of small scenes. I think I did. I got the horse right here with a couple of students. I staged that. And, and then when I got out, I still had to take a physical for the Army. And fortunately, I, I was, they didn't want me. I was, I guess I was too funny, you know. So I... They can't have that. I know. God, yeah. no.
3: We need discipline.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then I started stage managing, because as a stage manager, you direct the understudies. Uh-huh. So I got more and more practice in doing that, and then I would do summer stock productions of The Odd Couple with Stubby Kay and Arnold <laughs> Stang. Stubby
3: <laughs> you Kay, know, who was in uh, the, original, uh, the original Guys and
4: Dolls. And, uh, you
3: know, productions of Never Too Late with Bob Cummings. But let me, let me just say that 1992, I do Streetcar on Broadway. I consider that one of the great years on Broadway because uh, Kate Burton's doing Jake's Women with Alan Alda and Guys and Dolls is on Broadway with Nathan. And I'll never forget the, the banner, although it did run for a very long time. It was a huge success. This, the banner wrapped around the canopy said, this show will run forever. It said. <laughs> but I went to see that show twice and Faith, Prince, they all made me cry. Walter Bobby playing that role and singing Rock in the Boat. And I love that show. I cried. And uh, Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher with Sky Masterson. Yeah. He was a dear friend of mine. Yeah. 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 And all of them. Were, I mean, I love that show. That was the most fun I've ever had watching a show without the producers. I mean, I love Nathan. But then Stubby K and you're, and you're directing The Understudies. And what did you think directing was back then? And how has that changed over the years Well, for you?
4: directing for me was, back then, you had a script that never changed. So I was doing plays. Right. You know, I had a couple of plaza suite, marriage go-round. So there was a lot of nuance involved in it, a lot of, you know, I could put in physical bits when I thought it would help. So I knew I, I had that creative sense. I did in uh, 98, after, uh, you know, I'd be, my career had taken off, I did a theater production of The Man Who Came to Dinner with Mahoney. Because Mahoney, Mahoney was on, Yeah, Mahoney was on Frasier, and he arranged for me to direct it at Steppenwolf, and uh, I put in like four jokes, you know. And George Kaufman's daughter came to the show, and I was, you know, I was concerned. I knew George, I knew George through my dad, and George Kaufman's daughter. And at the end, she said. I liked your additions. It was so sweet. Oh. Usually they hate it, but they were they were big laughs. So, but anyway, so when I was you know doing summer stock and dinner theater, I was just trying. You had to get a play up on its feet in a week, so it was a lot of rapid stuff. So I found myself and people who could think on their feet. Yeah, I found myself the more dinner theaters wanted me, and more regional theaters. East coast, on east coast. You know, television is a writer's medium, too, as in Broadway. Broadway, the, the playwright, is, is paramount. In, in what I do, the writers are paramount, but I have my time alone with the actors, as you know. I've directed you a few times, and that's the time when my creative juices come out, and I don't want a guy behind me judging, you know, what I do, what I say. a move, you know, say the line this way before I can see it and say, well, maybe that doesn't work. I don't want a guy behind me saying, right. no, don't. No. Preempting no. you. Yeah, preempting yeah. me. Right. That's totally debilitating for a director. Who would preempt you? Well, I mean, the writers, <laughs> no, I know. But when the writers come down, right. they see our work. You know, they see what we've refined. Your pass. Yes. Right. So you get a pass. I get a pass. And, you know, I'll never forget in, t- in a taxi episode I was directing, I had a move. I had this move that I thought was funny, and I don't remember who did it. But the, the actor executed it, and then all of a sudden the writer turned around to me and, and said, what the fuck was that? And so we went on with the rehearsal, and after I took him aside and I said, if I'm not allowed to fail, I, I'll give you nine good things, but one may be bad. But, you know, God forbid he's over my shoulder when I'm, when I'm trying to do it for myself. So, you know, everything you think of you think is funny is not necessarily funny in the end. Uh-huh. You
3: have to, you know, try try it. Yeah. Well, describe for me the seam of whatever length and whatever different components takes you from directing stubby K <laughs> and rehearsing stand-ins to your first forays into Hollywood when does Hollywood become your future?
4: In uh, 1966, My first job on Broadway was as the assistant to the assistant stage manager on the Broadway production of Breakfast at Tiffany's, a musical that my dad wrote based on Breakfast at Tiffany's. And so as the assistant to the assistant, I was in charge of the actors from Hollywood who were going to be in the show, Mary Tyler Moore and Richard Chamberlain, Laura Petrie and Dr. Kildare. We're gonna be in the production. And it was not my dad's best work at all. It was, you know, he went into the rehearsal with one act. And we opened in Philadelphia and they had a huge advance sale because of Dr. Kildare and Laura Petrie. And then- It was Chamberlain. Dick Chamberlain, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so David Merrick didn't like the show. So he replaced my dad with Edward Albee. Wow. Wow.
3: What it, an it, obvious choice. I know. Let's, I know. <laughs> let's have Dick Chamberlain and Mary Tyler Moore claw each other's eyes out while they're swilling bottles of vodka. Yeah, I'm sure. You oh, wanted God, to that
4: change sounds like a name fun to show. George and Marfa, you know. <laughs> so then he, Merrick didn't want to go back out of town with the show, so we played previews. And Edward did stuff to help the production by putting in Holly's Miscarriage. This is a Broadway musical. It was just horrible and the audience when we opened in New York for previews booed and every time Mary would come off stage, I would be there and she would wrap her arms around me and start crying. She was so devastated by the audience reaction. And Wednesday night came, Mary closed the show, I sat with Mary at Sardi's, we had a a wake at Sardi's till Grant Tinker, her husband, arrived. And they went off, and then I went to Summerstock and everything. And then in 1973, I was watching television on a Saturday night after directing Joan Fontaine in 40 Carats. (laughs) And I turned on the television, there was a Mary Tyler Moore show. And I hadn't seen it before. It hadn't registered with me before. But I noticed they were doing a play. There's a multi-camera sitcom, which, you know, it's a, it's a play that's filmed. It's proscenium. Proscenium, everything like that. And I said, wow, they're doing 25 <clears> minutes <throat> in a week, and I'm doing two hours in a week. I think I can do that. So I wrote a letter to Mary Tyler Moore, because I didn't know Grant that well. And about two weeks later, I got a letter from Grant Tinker saying, we have four multi-camera sitcoms. We are very interested in theatrical directors. Would you come out and do one show? That was February of 74. I said, "Great. Maybe I was going to do a Newhart or a Rhoda or a Bob Crane show or a Paul Sancho, but I said, no, you're going to do a Mary Tyler Moore show. you know So I was thrust into this into this endeavor. I didn't know. I had to learn. I had to come and observe for three months to observe the technical aspects. You know, I knew how to talk to actors and stuff like that.
3: Which, even though it was much simpler back then, I'm sure, it's still something that was foreign to you.
4: Yeah, totally foreign. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn that. I learned that by watching Jay Sandrich,
3: who was my mentor, and to me, the king of sitcoms. Describe that experience, meaning when you're doing it, and you've been around successful people, all the cylinders are clicking on great shows, how to succeed, your dad, all these legendary musicals, things you've done. And when you were there, did you sit there and go... Yeah, I like this. No. It, okay. <laughs> no. You thought Are you were going to get a courtesy me? van back to the hotel? Are you hotel? kidding me? Your first courtesy sh- <laughs> van for Mr.
4: Burroughs, please. Your first shot in television, and you're on, like, the number, <laughs> top five show. with were the was, biggest people in television. I know. I was scared out of my wits. And it was it was daunting. You know, you read the script around the table, as you know, before you rehearse, and it was a C-minus script. And I said to Grant Tinker— in a sea of Danish, I get a bagel, you know? <laughs> so I had the script, and in those days, you went down and immediately rehearsed and while the writers were rewriting. So you were rehearsing stuff— On your feet. On your feet that you knew was going to change. So it was like rearranging dick chairs on a Titanic. Yeah. And Mary, Mary hated the script, and she would complain. I said, hopefully they'll make it better. And it was uh, called— um, The Neighbors, something like that, because it was Lou moves into Rhoda's apartment because Rhoda had spun off to do her own show. So Lou moves into Rhoda's apartment so that Lou and Mary are living together and they're working together. So that was the thrust of the show. And, uh, you know, I was just treading water. I was with, you know, five, six of the best actors on television. And I was a 34-year-old pisha who they probably didn't
3: think I knew what I was doing. And I didn't think I knew what I was doing. But what happened? You said that it was a C-plus, D-script, but I invoked Chekhov. I invoked Shakespeare just to try to enhance the piece and make the piece better. How so? Well, in the last scene,
4: when Lou figures it's time to move out, I had his two suitcases there. And I said to Mary and to Ed, sit on those suitcases and reminisce like you're in the cherry orchard. And you're leaving the cherry orchard. So They did. And, you know, I tried to put in some funny stuff, but I never—I played by the rules of that show. If you're going in as a guest director on a show, you got to play by the rules of that show. Yeah. You know, you just—because everybody— got to fun- the room. Yeah, you do. And so I, I, I did that, and just before the show was shot, I was walking to, back to my dressing room, and Mary came out of her trailer, and she stopped me, and she said, Jim— we feel our investment in you has worked out. Oh, my God. I, I wept. I yeah. went back, I wept. And the next day, I had calls from the Newhart Show, from the Paul <laughs> Sand Show, from Bob Crane Show. They wanted me to direct. So that literally was the birth of my television career.
3: Director James Burroughs. If you enjoy conversations with accomplished directors, check out my episode
1: with Cameron Crowe. Generally, not every time, but generally a movie will have your spirit. You're, the movie will have your signature somewhere. Even even in movies where, like, you know, Penny Marshall came in at the last minute and replaced
4: so-and-so. It's, it's a Penny Marshall movie. The director's personality seeps in. Hallelujah. And I love playing with that. I love playing with, like, the sensibility and the feeling that the movie is going to give you. And music helps. The relationship on the
1: set, like— When we've been able to work together, it's really been wonderful to have like the environmental version of directing where we all are together kind of vibing
4: and there are relationships that are separate and the characters are part of it. And and we're doing this thing together.
3: I think that feeling gets into the movie. Hear the rest of my conversation with Cameron Crowe in our archives at heresthething.org. After the break, James Burroughs tells us about the casting kismet on Friends
5: Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand.
0: turn your passion into a career.
2: Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes
3: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. The Emmy-winning series Cheers ran for 11 seasons for a total of 275 episodes, with James Burroughs directing all but 35 of them. I wanted to know how he chooses to stay with a show for the length of its run, as he did with Cheers. Well, it was at a point... Where
4: people felt confident enough for me to be the permanent director.
3: Did other shows have that?
4: Yeah, I think Paul Bogart did a lot of All in the Families, and John Richard a lot of Dick Van Dyke shows, and Jay did seventy-five percent of the Marys, but nobody did as many as I did. And I did it. I did it because I love the show. But and I, for people
3: who don't know, the first show that you do that the long run is which one? Taxi. Taxi.
4: Taxi was created by the guys. Uh, Two of the guys who created the Mary Tyler Moore show, Jim Brooks and Alan Burns created Mary Tyler Moore, Jim Brooks and Ed Weinberger. Ed was a writer on the show. Stan Daniels and Dave Davis were the four who created Taxi, and they asked me to be the permanent director. So although once before I did Laverne and Shirley, I directed some of them. And Gary, after about three shows, Gary Marshall took me to, <laughs> to Nickadell. Did you do you remember Oblats yes. and Nickadell's the two restaurants that were on the Paramount. Yeah, of course. Uh, and he said, "Would you consider staying with the show?" And I, uh, in all due respect to you, I, I can't. It was too. It was too tense. Cra- it was too crazy. My friend was a writer on that
3: show. Oh, Dana oh. Olson. Oh, my God. Dana sure. Olson was my buddy, and I hung out with him, and he told me I, – I don't want to pin this on Olson, but someone told me that their corresponding managers, their respective managers, would sit there with stopwatches and time how long the tally light was on their client. Who got more camera time? There was such a kind of a competitiveness between – Penny and Cindy. Penny that, and Cindy. I
4: was on the show when the shit hit her fan. Right.
3: He said it was really not a a pleasant environment. It was such
4: a successful show, and they just—it was not—anyway, so I told Gary I didn't want to do it. And then when Taxi came along, and I read that script, and uh, they asked me to
3: commit to it, I said, sure. If I'm not mistaken, Taxi at that point, Danza went on to do Who's the Boss after Taxi, correct? Mm -hmm. So you had a menagerie of actors, none of whom were that famous on their own. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. DeVito— Uh, uh, Lloyd, Judd Hirsch had a Broadway career, but not a big TV or film. Danza, Mary Lou, Kaufman, all of them, this is the show that made them really famous, that took them to that next level. And I was wondering, what's it like for you when you work with a bunch of people? Do you see them change? I'm not asking you to disparage anybody, but would you say people become big stars on these television shows, do they change? Yeah, I mean... Without naming names, do you see the cast
4: change? The cast gelled for me. That was again. I talk about that as an interplanetary cast. There are (laughs) there are people. Yeah, Andy was a comic and and the bravest comic I've ever seen in my life. And Tony was a boxer, Chris, and a crooner, and a crooner. (laughs) And so my job as is I talk about in the book is to create a homogeneous group of people who are all in a lifeboat. Everybody has their own oars and pulls it in tandem. And so it was, that was my first big show. And it was difficult on that show because there were so many eccentricities. Andy Kaufman had Day Night Reversal and didn't come in till one. But he had a photographic memory, so he didn't, you know, he knew his part when he came in. You know, Jim Brooks, the writer, was off doing Starting Over, that movie. He was writing it. And so we had all these things that you had to juggle, and so it was very difficult for me. But I think the this, this, some of my best work, some of the funniest shows I've ever did are on or done on Taxi. I think what does the yellow light mean? The Reverend Jim show when he becomes a cabbie is goes down in history as maybe the biggest laugh I've ever directed. And so <laughs> I, I don't know if they well, look who who would you think would be the movie star of that show? Danny DeVito. You right, would. Right. You wouldn't, Right. I had a wonderful time on the show. I learned a lot. And it's the moment that I cemented my relationship with the Charles brothers because the Charles brothers were producers on that show. So they had a difficult task in coordinating the writing because Jim wasn't around all the time. And when he came, he would say he wanted it this way. And then Ed would see that and say, no, I want it this way. So it was it was difficult. It turned out to be a wonderful show, but Glenn and had as difficult a time as I did, and that's where we became really close because we had the same agent, and he
3: uh, said we have to do our own show. I'm wondering, was there a difference for you, again, without disparaging anybody by any means, was there just a difference for you with a theater-based cast, Kelsey, Hyde Pierce, and so forth, and the cast of Will and Grace – all of them with theater, but I think Deb's. So Deb, Deb was just on stage here. Right. Sean's a super stage worthy. I wor- I worship him. I worship him. Uh, McCormick does theater, and Megan does theater, and then other shows you've done where there's Nary a theater denizen among the bunch. You know, there's not many theater creds in the Friends cast. You know, a swimmer, a swimmer. Right. He's started— he star- Well, one out of six. Yeah, yeah, Looking Glass Theater. Right. Yeah. Did so- you find it? Uh, you 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 had a different language. With those that had a theater background or no? Was it all no, the same?
4: No. I, you know, I would tell them in the beginning this is theater. It's, it's an amalgam of theater and film, but it's basically theater because you have to tell the story to the 250 people watching you that night. And so you tell the story to them. In theater, your reactions have to be bigger because to reach the person in the balcony— you can't be subtle. That's subtle in theater. You know, you have to has to be a little bit exaggerated. I told them, I will be on you if your reactions are too big because this is going out on a television screen. So it, the reactions can't be as big as they are in the theater, but they have to be enough to get a laugh, not only with this audience, but with the audience at home. So the kids were pretty good on on Friends. You know, Lisa was in The Groundlings. Jen was amazing, and they just in- embraced and inhabited those characters like it was, it was a goldmine. I don't think we ever read anybody together. So when I got them, the six of them down on stage and they just fit like a glove, yeah.
3: it was oh my God. Yeah, they were synced. They were synced, and I said, Oh, this is crazy. <clears throat> When I did Will and Grace, you could see that uh, um, they were so welcoming to me. Your package is leaking. You you stole my line. I'm standing there, and he says, and she says goodbye to me. We close the door. I'm in love with Megan. He says, your package is leaking. I said, what can I say? I like her. (laughs) Because you brought her ice cream. I brought the ice cream, which was, your package is dripping, or whatever he said. Leaking. Leaking. You know better than I do. So when I do that show, they were so welcoming, and they were so sweet, when I did Will & Grace, because they were just so charming, and Megan was the one who, I always say the same line, Megan was the one who helped to, at least in part, broker my deal with uh, 30 Rock, because Megan said, you yeah, know, listen, she said, it's fun. So, I mean, I never dreamed of doing a sitcom, and when I did 30 Rock, I said, I'll do six episodes recurring, and that's it. And uh, uh, they twisted my arm or whatever to do it, and, and, and it's Lorne, oh, I worship, but when I came to do the show, you see where when it comes to tape time, Muchnik comes down. Cohan behind him. Muchnick has a lot to say. <laughs> he has a lot of lines and jokes and things in his notes and so forth. Is every show the same that way, or are all the shows different in terms of the input of the top people? No. no,
4: I on any show I do, anybody can say anything about anything. Check your ego at the door. So I mean if you had a problem on Will and Grace, you you know, you would come to me and say you had a problem. Max is Max, he's genius. You know, you deal with him because he's so valuable to the show. And one of, the, one of your gifts is that you play in the same intensity as the four of them. And with, you know, we had a lot, we had over 250 guest stars on Will & Grace. Mm-hmm. And invariably they would come in like they were a star. And I would take them aside and say, when you're rehearsing with this cast, in rehearsal, they do 50% of what they can do. And then when you get to the showtime, it's 100 to 150%. Yeah. And if you don't keep up, you're going to be on the editing room floor. So you you have you're on our show. You agreed to our show. You got to play by the rules of the show, yeah. and I don't want you to disappear. And you, of course, come in. You know you are happy to be there. Happy to be there, and also larger than life, which is important on that
3: show because that show is a fairy you gotta tale. Got to keep up, yeah, uh,
4: literally up. and figuratively.
3: Director James Burroughs, if you're enjoying this conversation, be sure to subscribe to Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, James Burroughs tells us why his new book is ultimately about kindness.
5: Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian Cocktail Maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, Get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand.
0: turn your passion into a career. Visit
2: trinityschool.org for more info now. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up, like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes sizes and colors the fashion at jc is the same way refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus, even more for the whole family, like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.
3: I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. I was lucky enough to work with director James Burroughs as a guest star on Will and Grace. We also worked together on a pilot starring myself and Kelsey Grammer that did not get picked up for serious. With Burroughs' incredible track record, I wanted to know if he has a sixth sense about which shows will succeed and which won't.
4: When I read them, I don't know. You know, when I read some of these pilots, I, I thought they were okay and I could maybe, with a little smoke and mirrors, make it go. A few of them I made go, but they didn't last very long. But uh, I try not to do pilots that I don't think are going to go. Right. But as to that pilot, I, I was shocked that the network didn't pick that up. Give it a up. try. Yeah. I don't know what was going on in the ABC headquarters and watching the show. But you had two monumental stars who played, you know, it was Noel Coward. It was. Yeah. It was Will and Grace. It was that kind of intensity to your relationship that was exhilarating to me and funny to the audience we had there. And uh, I, was, I was shocked. I don't know if there were politics involved or what was involved, but they sure don't have a show on ABC that's commensurate with that show.
3: Now, you have no doubt, and I'm not just saying this, I loved working with you. Everybody loves working with you. You say the Jay Sandrich... Jay Sandridge never put two people on a suitcase and just stole from the cherry orchard, <laughs> I doubt it. You'd say Jay Sandridge is the king. He's not the king. You're the king. Oh. And everybody who works with you loves you. They love you. And you do this show, and were you ever tempted to run out and do movies and write scripts and, do, and go into those other corridors, or never? Uh, I, I was never a writer.
4: I, I ruled that out. I did a pilot for Stephen Botchko. In 1977, called Every Stray Dog and Kid, single camera pilot, hour. Jackie Earl Haley back then, yeah. and uh, Bruce Weitz. Uh, Bruce I, Weitz. I didn't.
3: Mm, and no movies.
4: I did a movie called Partners. It was a movie. Aaron Russo came to me after Taxi, and he said, I have this movie that written by Francis Weber, who wrote La Cage aux and it was about, it was, it was prescient in the fact that it was about a straight cop and a gay cop. Was who, this Ryan O'Neill? Yeah, Ryan O'Neill and John Hurt. <laughs> Can you believe I remember that? I can't believe that. Ryan O'Neill. And it was, they go undercover to solve a murder. they pretend to be a gay couple. And the problem, you know, a lot of the problem was you wanted Clint Eastwood in their part. You wanted a guy, the most macho man in the world, yeah. having to dress in chains and leather. You know, that's what you want. You want a Charlie Bronson, somebody like that. And we had, at one point, we had Peter Riegert to play the gay cop, and we had Sam Elliott, who would have been great. But we couldn't get it past the studio, so we ended up with Ryan and John. What's difficult for me in the movies is, number one, it takes two years to hear the reaction. And two, it was tough for me in the comedy scenes you shoot a master and everybody's kind of funny. Then you start to shoot the close-up and the magic's gone. Yeah. I
3: know? did a documentary where, um, what is his name? Who's the famous actor that's married to Eva? Uh, Ron? No, Eva. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you. I do miss you. I'm <laughs> so sorry we're not doing <laughs> single. <four laughs> I would up. have been on your show. I would have stayed on that show because I had so much fun. You know something? I, uh, let me tell you something. I'm sitting there. And I was so excited. I thought, my God. Kelsey Grammer calls me up. But he goes, uh, so how's everything going? I mean, he's like such a force of nature. How's everything going? <laughs> I go, uh, it's going okay. I said, I'm, I mean, we're going to make the deal. I mean, I'm not, God, I mean, my whole thing is don't get too crazy. And uh, um, he was from a different school of negotiating because he was the king of TV. I, his career in TV obviously eclipsed mine. He starred in big, big, big successful shows. But he calls me up and he goes, uh, what are you going in at? What are you asking for? What are you going in at? <laughs> And I go, well, I thought I would kind of like, you know, be the good partner. And I keep the numbers low, seasons one and seasons two. And if we get to see, so so like I did on 30 Rock, season four, season five, we step it up. And then season five and season six, I want to hear them crying all the way from the studio. I want to, we're going to backload all the money into season five and six. And he goes, I'm coming in at blank. And he named some number that I was like, I was going to fall off the chair. And I thought, after that, I go. Well, of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. That's probably what you got paid in the last season of your last show. I mean, he was like this comedy uh, on the Mount Rushmore of TV comedy. So I was always poll that we didn't uh, pull that off. Uh, you prompted me with here about you shoot the master, then you go back and you do the close-ups, and it's all gone. I did a film that was a documentary about Cannes, and um, in the film, Ryan Gosling has the most wonderful take on exactly what you said the Arthur Murray-esque progression of shooting stuff, where it's like, do it again, do it again. Now we're going to come in closer and do it again and do it again, but make it fresh and do the same thing you did again. Close-ups, you know, mid- mid-shot, mid cowboy, tight, ECU. And he said to me, it's just like, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Just, but in his language, we got a, a Gosling on film. Now, I'm assuming because you are a legend in television comedy that you know, t- Lorne Michaels said, network's the best. I said, why? He said, why? He goes, because it demands more of you. You can't say fuck on the network. You have to say fuck without saying fuck. You can't go blue. So you've got to be smarter, cleverer, better. And when I turn on TV now and I'm on streaming services, somebody says, Susie was late for work today. Fuck! Everybody laughs because they're saying, oh they, my god, they said, fuck, you've never gone to a streaming service? I did one show
4: for Chuck Lorre that was on with Kathy Bates, called Disjointed. She owned a pot shop. And I think it lasted twelve episodes, something like that. I had a great, uh, had a great time working with her. She's what a pro. And but
3: I'm sure you've been asked to come and maybe they tried to seduce you to come and do. They don't do a lot of three camera, multi camera shows. But even single camera for them.
4: Uh eh, I'm not. Go- I'm not good. I'm. Not, I like. I like to get home early. As you know, the, the multi-camera schedule is the greatest in the world. Oh my God! And you're talking about what well, Lorne, I, I, I uh, corroborate what he says, because the euphemism is funnier than the actual word. Mm-hmm. On Will and Grace, I mean, Karen package had... Package is leaking. Yeah, yeah, package is leaking. Or, uh, you know, Karen had nine different euphemisms for vagina, you know. So euphemism, harder to think of but it was, it, it, it is funnier stuff.
3: Why write a book? Meaning it's like, doesn't your work speak for itself? When oh. you want to write a book, why?
4: I have all these stories that are, that are in the book. And I tell them to, you know, I look for new friends so I can tell them the stories. <laughs> because <laughs> I've told all my old friends the same stories. And it was COVID. It was the beginning of COVID. And my wife, Debbie, came and said to me, you gotta write a book, which she had been saying for the past 10 years. And I said, I don't have a hook. I don't have an angle on a book. She said, please, stop sitting around, write a book. So I called my agent who hooked me up with Eddie Friedfeld, who's my co-author, and I started telling him the stories. He had not heard any of the stories and he helped shape the book. And it's a little bit of, it's a lot of my stories, but it's a little bit of a tutorial in how to make a show or what's what's good for a show, I talk about a little. I talk about the cameras a little bit, not enough to bore laymen,
3: but so that, that's what I did it, and I, I had a great time doing it. The book is directed by James Burroughs. I want to tell you, and I, I love the opportunity to say this. I'm glad you came in person. I'm happy to be here, and I want to tell you that the times I did that show with you, you were so kind to me, and you created an environment where it was fun. I was heartbroken when it was over, and you're so graceful and gracious and smart, and it really was just the joy of my life to do those shows with you. Even if our pilot was the Challenger, it blew up on the launch pad, and we we didn't make it. But
4: <laughs> my book is about kindness. I mean, <clears throat> you can see it it flows through there because if if you have a set where everybody's nice to one another. And everybody likes, dare I say, loves one another, that's going to come across the screen. You know, the fish stinks from the head. So if you have a star who's counting lines, that's not a happy experience. So I don't work on shows like that. I work on shows where I have great actors that can only make me look better. And I treat them with the utmost kindness.
3: I never see Hyde Pierce that much in uh, uh, in life, but I wanted to say to him, I'm willing to bet that you did Fraser, and you've never done anything remotely like that again. Because why bother? <laughs> it's never going to be better than that. You did that great show with a great cast, great writing, great directing. I mean, anything, anybody any other group you might work with, it would be a letdown. I would say.
4: A lot of times, you know. If people are on a hit sitcom they think they can they think they can do it again. It's hard. You know it's hard. It is hard. There's so many there's so many forces out there that want you to fail. And it's sad but I've had a great run and
3: so have you young man. Well, I'm going my last line is going to be what would you know about failure? <laughs> That's my line for you. What would you know about failure James Burrows? You've had the least amount of failure of anybody <laughs> in shows. No, I've had failure. Yeah, Yeah, maybe a tablespoonful, that's about it, (laughs) in an ocean of success. So enough of my tired metaphors. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Director James Burroughs. This episode was recorded at CDM Studios in New York City. We're produced by Kathleen Russo, Zach McNeese, and Maureen Hoban. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Our social media manager is Daniel Gingrich. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio.